0: Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My today's guest is pioneering the cannabis industry with her brands and paving the way for women who want to be in the industry as well. She's the president of the Flower Shop Arizona, True North Organics, and Perfect Earth Apothecary of Utah. She serves as a board member, and officer for two nonprofit corporations running a total of five dispensaries and four cultivation sites between Arizona and Utah. She is a corporate attorney, licensed in both Arizona and California, and actively an active community member of the Arizona Dispensary Association and serves as the president of the Utah Cannabis Association. Greta Brandt, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's kind of amazing. uh, You know, you have such an incredible bona fides. Why don't you tell me how you got introduced to cannabis and, you know, what initially attracted you to the industry?
1: Well, um, interesting. Um, I'm obviously a lawyer and that's how I entered the space or at least got my feet wet um, in cannabis. I served as a corporate attorney. Um, and assisted an operator um, handling its MA, its merger and acquisition, as it was acquiring licenses here in Arizona. So I served on the outside as legal counsel. Um, from there, uh, things, you know, we closed on that um, acquisition and I was asked to come in house and serve as its in house counsel. Um, taking a leap from uh, the law firm to in house uh, corporate attorney, very different. Um, especially in cannabis, just because you're asked to be involved in all different aspects of the business. From there, um, I catapulted to take over um, operations, and I served as vice president, and then to president now. So now I oversee all operations here in Arizona and our Utah operations. You know, I,
0: I, I don't ask this question with with uh, any ulterior motive other than ask, were you involved with cannabis before you got involved this way?
1: Um, I had dabbled with it, um, you know, in college at parties, but beyond that, no, um, not um, on the illicit market or really have an understanding of how a uh, the the legal market was working. No, not, not before that.
0: And so, I mean, now the transition, I mean, have you become now more of an advocate or are you still just really just doing the business line of this or are you an advocate for the planning? Um- of course, you're an advocate because you're the president of our company, but I mean, you know, do you, are you a believer? I should say it that way. Or are you just.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you can't not be a believer, um, you know, working in this space, hearing the, the stories from patients, hearing the stories. I mean, we see just the you know, we see the gambit of, of patients, of customers that are coming in, whether it's on the medical side or the rec side, whether, you know, either one. It does provide a benefit. Uh, we understand that it has a medical efficacy. Um, it's proven. Um, it helps people. But so yes, I am truly an advocate of the plant. Um, there's a place, time, and manner for it for people, whether it's a social or medicinal use. Um, I, I absolutely am an advocate. I also serve on the business side and trying to lead that, be able to market that, um, and you know, move the dial to allow for more of an open, inclusive, uh, you know, area for marijuana to be widely accepted.
0: And, you know, I mean, when you say it, it's it's almost impossible, there are lots of people that are in this industry that, you know, I would say that not any pushback, but to come back to you and say there are several people in this industry who really are in the industry more from a B2B or business standpoint than being true advocates. And I think that's part of what is stifling some of this business from moving forward the way it should. Uh, personally, that's what I think. Um and, yeah. And Absolutely. I would agree
1: with, I'm sorry. And I would definitely agree with that. There definitely is. And I think it kind of, and maybe you could probably pinpoint that as more of when they entered into the rec side, right? I, I'm coming from, you know, when we started in our States, it's medical. So we only understood it as the medical benefits, really hearing the benefit of the plant, educating ourselves through our chemists, through our R&D so we truly, from a medical side, that's where we were built from, This the, the program, whether it's Arizona or Utah, came from the medical side. And so, uh, you know, I entered it on the medical side. So it's really hard to not believe that there's that power of the plant. Yeah.
0: And again, you know, and I think most of the people that, that can differentiate the two, say medical or rec, I think that's where there becomes a problem you know, because I truly believe that there is no rec side. I honestly think that anybody who makes a choice between cannabis and alcohol is making it for a medical reason, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, Anybody who says that I'm going to use cannabis because it makes me relax better, that's a medical reason. Anybody who uses it because they want to sleep better, that's a medical reason. Anybody who wants to do it because they prefer to do cannabis because it's not going to give them a hangover in the morning, that to me is a medical reason. So I think that we've done ourselves a disservice in this industry by actually trying to differentiate the two. I don't think anybody's drawn to cannabis unless they're drawn there for some underlying reason that they won't even admit to themselves. But you were just talking about a little bit about the difference between what, what is the differences or what are some of the differences between the regulations in Arizona and Utah?
1: Um, well, Utah is um, to date is only a medical program. Um, and so just trying to differentiate between Arizona and Utah's regulations there, um, Utah is, is, is truly built upon. Um, the, the premise of a pharmacy model. So we employ pharmacists at our, our pharmacies um, was what they call them in Utah, rather than a dispensary in Arizona.
0: They actually get to use the term pharmacy.
1: Correct. Correct. Oh. So we, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting model because it's trying to, which has its extreme difficulties of trying to put in, trying to force this Business model into a pharmacy model, um, but yes, it is called pharmacies. We do employ multiple pharmacists. We have to have a pharmacist on staff at all times. Um, and truly, yeah, this is a
0: license. This is a licensed regular medical pharmacist or this new category pharmacist. What is what is no nope,
1: it? nope. A, a truly a licensed pharmacist through the state that has you know that's registered with the DEA. Um, they are you know essentially we we recruited them from a CVS, a Walgreens, um, some smaller pharmacies.
0: That uh, seems almost that seems almost like uh, I don't know, an oxymoron in the fact that the federal government would could then take their license for working in a place that's legal in a state. it's It seems so strange to me,
1: agreed. And they do take a big risk, right? because there the this was the argument when we were um, discussing this with the legislature of what you are putting them, what risk you're putting them at because right now, their license is at risk. should they have to, Um, report some of these things through the DEA as their, you know, as a substance that they're providing. A lot of the time it was, uh, it also caused a lot of headaches because pharmacists had to take either, you know, they're risking their job. So some of the times that they've got like hospitals, for example, um, you know, they don't allow, um, you know, the pharmacist to be employed through a pharmacy like ours, as well as being employed um, at a at a hospital, so they take quite a big of risk, um, and it is this whole program is
0: an uh, is is oxymoron.
1: Um, it, it contradicts with federal law at every turn, which is why we have problems with banking, which is why we have problems with lending. Um, it's just a very interesting dichotomy. It's
0: it's an interesting dichotomy, and it's also interesting for the fact that most of these people who are licensed pharmacists didn't believe in cannabis three or four years ago. These are the right. same people who are pushing back against cannabis. Now I'm going to trust you to give me a product that you didn't believe worked three years ago. It's, that's really kind of weird to me.
1: And there are there are pharmacists. Our, our pharmacists that, we, that, that work for us in Utah are not those ones. They truly have a personal story that attaches to why they believe in the plant. They've gone out and done their own research, even though we know that there's no medical you know, trials that are being done or have been done that actually have been certified. So really, that's the problem where people come into the store and you're asking a pharmacist to prescribe something that they don't necessarily have any medical data or research on. They've done their own research and have come up with working with our R&D department, figuring out some of the cannabinoids, figuring out the terpenes, figuring out the strains that may be effective for them, and then the delivery method that would be compatible to that, to that patient.
0: Yeah, so I find it very interesting that, that again, uh, from from my perspective, even, even these the are people who were trained in regular medical schools that I would tell a couple of years ago weren't even teaching anything about the endocannabinoid system. And now all of a sudden they've shifted over because there is a financial benefit in shifting over. You right. know, me, it's like it's hard to trust people like that because, you know, those you say, I, I recently did a, I had a doctor on who was talking about the fact that, contrary to popular belief, you know, we have been researching cannabis in the United States and Israel since the mid 1980s. There's more published peer reviewed documents worldwide on cannabis than there are on alcohol and alcohol abuse. Yet, when the question comes up, everybody says, well, there's not enough research there's been more research done on cannabis than the majority of drugs that the pharmacists will sell themselves. Not that I'm, I'm. No,
1: that is is so true. And the caveat that they come back, you know, that the, you know, again, public health comes back to say is, is those aren't trials that have been over, you know, overview, have the FDA approval. Right. And so they're, you know, they don't take it into context, which is really unfortunate. Right. Because, those trials were done for the last 20 years. We know that there's research. We know that there's, but they're not there's necessarily certified.
0: There's enough research that's been done by the federal government to give themselves their own patent and claim the efficacy of the drug in their own patent. So I push back a lot when I hear these words, it's not enough research or not FDA approved. Come on, the FDA, screwed them for a second. The organization in the United States is called the University of Mississippi that's been getting funding our taxpayer dollars for over 50 years to research cannabis, has been using our taxpayer dollars for over 50 years to send it to Dr. Mishulam in Israel to do studies that the government then sanctioned enough to put a stamp on in 1999 to say we want to file for a patent for cannabis. It's just, it's ridiculous to me that that we can actually talk out of both sides of our mouths and say, well, we funded it, but it's real, that's not real research. And it's right. crazy.
1: Well, and, and it's, again, it always comes back to, you're right, the financial benefit right now that they're seeing pressure. And this is my opinion, right? Is we all seeing the pressure that people are under from now, you know, we already have one drug on the market that allow with, with THC. So, I mean, there's a pipeline, what I heard, I think yesterday, that there's 35 other Clinical trials being done right now with THC from all the five big pharmas that are currently you know, going right now. So it's coming. We understand from big tobacco, big alcohol, pharmaceuticals they are already taking stakes in this. They understand it's coming. Cannabinoids, pharmaceuticals are coming. We know there is the medical benefit of the plant, but why we still the federal government has not caught up yet.
0: Yeah, it's the same. Reason why. You know, I, I don't understand. It. If, if I was a pharmaceutical company right now, I would be reticent to spend dollars on a product that I have claimed didn't work for 30 years and now try to convince the masses that I believe in something that I didn't believe in three years ago. But I want to make some money off your butt, so I believe in it now. It's you right. know, it's, it's It's ridiculous that these companies are even trying to spend money doing what they think are clinical trials and picking one of the 250 cannabinoids to study when there's so much information that even the government knew itself years ago through the entourage effect and the funding of Meshulam in Israel that, you know, it requires more than just one cannabinoid to do. And, you know, you're right. There are multiple. You still have Marinol in the marketplace. You can still get Marinol, which was a you know, synthetic cannabis from the 1980s, um, along with whatever this new trash is that's out there now. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to Ties down on that as much as asking. You think the handwriting's on the wall that there'll be some movement in the Fed when it comes to expansion of use? I don't only want to use the term legalization, but what do you think that looks like? I mean, the next two, three, four, five years.
1: I mean, we would love some type of movement. There's no question. I do believe the writing's on the wall in the next 18 months. There's going to be some type of movement. Um, where I see the smallest movement to be made is, is descheduling it from a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 2, right? I mean, that would allow for um, operators, and, and I'm speaking more on on the existing legal businesses, the states that actually have medical programs, recreational programs, whatever they're going to be, legal, cannabis, programs where you have legal operators, the challenges for businesses are, is immense. Um, the financial burden that we have, um, not to say that we're all in, we are here to make money, however, to be able to have access to traditional banking, traditional finance, you, know, uh, you know, have lending opportunities. Um, we are hamstringed in a lot of those different areas that um, just moving from a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 2 would alleviate some of those burdens for um, operators in this space. Um, But I do see that there should be some movement.
0: But from a Schedule 1 to Schedule 2, that would mean that you have somebody who believes in the efficaciousness of (laughs) a product. And we have a president who is sitting in office who still claims that this is a gateway drug. And we have a vice president who, as much as she may lie and say that she believes in cannabis, made sure that more people are incarcerated in her state for minor cannabis law violations than any of her predecessors. So I don't trust either of them. And you know, this whole idea of decriminalizing de- decriminalization through descheduling, to me, that still says when you say decriminalize, that still means that you're still a criminal. Well, mean, and, huh?
1: well, I feel like it more puts it in the sense of like opioids, right? We have the pharmaceutical company that had that sells an opioid that says the schedule two. They still allow for traditional banking, there allow lending opportunities. For example, I, you know, as a, as an owner and operator, my personal uh, financial standing in banks, um, you know, were pushed out, you know, so I even people that are even working in this space, necessarily have difficulties obtaining traditional banking bank accounts, if they know what you're doing. So you've got pressure from, you know, all sides of the industry, they're asking for some assistance so that people can able to have Bank accounts so paychecks can be deposited, insurance so that they can have health insurance. Um, you know, I, though a lot of those aspects are. But it's true. You know, I, I don't necessarily think that we're going to have movement from president or vice president um, to to be moving the dial here. And again, one can only hope. It's been so long. They have you know, thirty two states now have programs, cannabis programs. I mean, um, it's right. Thirty seven. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Thirty seven when is the time to make some movements and again it's not going to be they're not going to be um they're not going to just have the federal government get involved on this they're going to obviously leave it to the states but again i would hope and you know doc you know and and history does seem to see to to predicate that we would be moving in that direction we have the safe banking act that got somewhat close to being passed to at least alleviating and acknowledging the hardship on legal businesses so if they at least can see,
0: especially legal businesses that in the last eighteen months have been considered critical services in almost every state, there's a business. I mean, how right. can you call this? Right? It, it's, it is. It's,
1: well, yes, it's ridiculous. No. It's, it's utter ridiculous because uh, you know here in, during COVID, for us, obviously we were an essential business. We had to maintain. We kept open. Um, and it's funny because you still you say we're essential, yet you want to treat us like we're illegal. Right. Um, and don't allow any opportunities again the tax burden that these that uh, that operators have is egregious and so to you know it doesn't allow us to even have financial abilities to get lending or financing abilities to do expansions to do ti improvements to do you know salary to do to give bonuses or increase salaries we're really restricted and hamstringed on our ability to actually grow in our business and in utah for example the difference between arizona and utah is I don't have the ability to do any advertising or any marketing in this space. Zero. Um, yeah, and-
0: no, you, you, I don't think you can do that in any of the states. There's no ability to legally advertise or promote. I mean, I've been in this business myself now for you know years, and you can't even promote and talk about your products. Yet, it's still okay to talk about every single pharmaceutical out there under the right. sun. Um, yeah. yeah, crazy. Go ahead.
1: It's crazy. I mean, here in Arizona, I am allowed to market and advertise. I do have billboards. They do require some now. They are going through um, a, you guys want to ask a question?
0: No, okay. you can advertise your, can you advertise your facility or can you advertise your product?
1: Um, our product, we advertise our product, like uh, the name, and then we have show a picture. We just can't show an actual bud. Um oh. Yes. And so, you know, Arizona is very free about advertising and marketing. They don't necessarily. And I do believe Arizona set up one of the best programs in the state. Um, They allowed for vertical integration and they really just mirrored the medical program to the recreational program. So that foundation really was set in stone. Um, And so when they did roll out the the recreational program, it mirrored medical, you know, some some changes with edibles um, and uh, THC. Uh, potency, but really the program, um, the medical program was very successful. Its foundation was very successful. So rolling out recreational wasn't very, wasn't very difficult, um, for the state, it was more difficult on the operators to ensure that they were prepared for that and, um, had their compliance aspect of it because truly without a, without a strict compliance, um, department in your facilities, you are just bound for revocation. Right
0: yeah yeah very interesting you know I just I did a, a podcast very recently with um you know who Red man is, right? Reggie Noble? Yes, okay. and, and Red just started, he and his uh, group just started what is now the first federally sanctioned and only federally sanctioned national cannabis party. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's something that's really could help to change. They have now, you know, established the national cannabis party. And a party and organization that's able to fundraise under that name and actually able to support and even put a presidential candidate up uh, as a nominee um, uh, based on their stand on cannabis. So, what do you think about that?
1: Fantastic. I mean, more people entering the political space puts pressure on people to hear different views, different ideas. And I think it's fantastic. It's going to at least move the needle for that discussion um cannabis is a widget in in a business sense right really should be treated as a widget regardless of what you are from a business standpoint i think that i would you know i i'm this is the first time that i've heard about this cannabis uh party and i think it's fantastic um and i'm definitely going to look more into this and see what their what their platform is and hear more about what they're trying to do for um the cannabis industry for the cannabis space for the patients for customers to ensure fair and equal access, I think is huge. Um, and something that, again, the social equity programs are trying to right the wrongs, The, the you know, the war on drugs um, is something that is needs to be addressed. And it's the elephant in the room a lot of the times that nobody wants to talk about. Um, and some states are doing a good job. Some states are, are have uh, developed or in the mean or in the process of developing those programs um, and have it roll out. It's going to be bumpy no matter what, um, rolling that out. Um, but I'm, I'm very encouraged to see states moving in that direction and really trying to correct some of the wrongs that we've done.
0: It's very encouraging to see a woman like yourself actually sitting at the helm of, you know, uh, cannabis industry uh, uh, couple outlets because, I mean, it, 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 though the percentages seem to be growing, there's not enough of you out there in the forefront, I think being promoted as being represented, I mean, I look at you and I think, you know, typical upper middle class housewife, you know I mean, That, that comes to mind. And I think that that needs to be an image that is discussed and shown more as a representation of this business.
1: Right, you have to make it mainstream. It really needs to be. The fact is, is what, you know, women are represented but they still are underrepresented, especially in the executive level. You know, you hear statistics, 37, 36% of um, C-suite in marijuana businesses are females. Um, And I think to an extent, possibly yes, but here that I see, you know, I'm one of, in in Utah, there's one of, there's there's two females. Um, In Arizona, there's maybe, maybe five, Um, We are very well underrepresented in in my job, especially being a female that has worked very, very hard to get to this position. Um, It's a very male dominated industry and we need to encourage and we need to um, elevate women and minorities in this industry. Um, And I take that very seriously. Um, But you're right. I am the stereotypical, you know, housewife that is the demographic for people to get to to market towards because those are the ones that are more um skeptic that really aren't necessarily um uh encouraged by having marijuana not only for you know maybe they have got kids that they're they're you know a little bit more hesitant to um allow access or maybe even just education and inf- information on marijuana but It is, and it's our job to encourage women and minorities to enter this space. It is a great opportunity. This is the fastest growing industry. Um, I I, I always tell them like one year here is five years in another business. It is so fast, um, which creates its own challenges, um, which is why, you know, some days are harder than others. Um, It's fast paced. Every day is very different. You're really triaging your problems. You know, you come into the office with the best intentions to get all of your things that you know you need to get done, but by the time, you know, by noon, your, your, your schedule is gone. You're just triaging issues, triaging, you know, business decisions, um, because things do change very quickly. Regulations change, um, uh, rules, uh, zoning, you know, we, we deal with complicated zoning and land use issues, um, because nobody really wants you to be where you want to be. Um, so they make it extremely um, difficult to open a dispensary, open a cultivation in specific municipalities.
0: And at the same time, I think this industry has been doing itself a little bit of a disservice over the course of the last, especially in the last year when we have been considered such a vital resource in so many communities that we are not spending the time. I mean, it's still, to me, I think the industry has been focused in the last couple of years on B2B, meaning business to business, you know, relationships rather than B2C, you know, educating the consumer, letting the consumer understand the viability of this as a product. Um I I have been disappointed in the fact that, you know, there's not as much effort put into cultivating, you know, the next generation of consumers or even cultivating the generation that's here right now.
1: I agree. And honestly, it's on us now because we need to educate our customers. We need to educate the community about the benefits because nobody else is. You don't have pharmaceuticals. You're not having the, the, you know, the federal government, the state government, nobody wants to touch it. It is now, it is now put on the operators to do that education, which again, the flower shop is is is, is taking that path for that wellness journey. Rather your, your journey, you know, can be a day, it can be a long, you know, a lifelong journey where cannabis can play a role in there and how the benefits are. And I think research and development, whether that's from your own internal organizations or utilizing the education that's out there, it is our job to educate the benefit of marijuana. Why are people consuming this? Why are people putting it in their body? I mean, it, it's you would want to know that before I would consume something. Is this safe? Is there a medical purpose for me to take this medicine? To take this product, whether it be, that's what our job is, and that is where I think the industry has fallen short on because they're trying to grow as quickly as possible, and that has come towards you know that was always on the back burner, but now. I think the expectation now for customers is that, is educate me, provide me the best customer experience, provide me the information of why I should be choosing this product, this medicine for my for my ailment, for my issues, because now I have the opportunity to choose, you know, a lot more.
0: Sure. Sure. And I, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, it is incumbent upon this industry for this industry implodes to start educating the consumer. And we have failed to do that. I just don't understand myself personally why. And then, you know, when we take a look at, I think we need to do a little bit more effort to kind of contain this industry a little bit. This whole idea in the last couple of months where it you was, know, we have a, you know, the THC, um, o out there now. And we have that cannabinoid that, uh, and, and we also have, what is this other thing, uh, uh, THC eight or uh, uh, Delta, eight. Delta eight. Oh yeah.
1: That's and been it, a,
0: which is, which is, <sighs>
1: you
0: know, uh, I think absolutely. Uh, I was aghast when you started hearing that this industry is uh, not well we're allowing ourselves to have some people in the industry go down that path. That's only asking for the fed to stop on your head.
1: Yes. And it's, it's, Frightening, and and it, it's not regulated. So you know the, I, the problem comes back to if this is medicine, why is it not regulated? Delta eight, and you you know you've heard this. The states, some states are cracking down um, on delta eight because it is not regulated. There's no scientific information about that, and really we don't have um, the understanding of what is go what where this product is. There's no testing. Um, it's not regulated. We,
0: we know it. We, we don't know if that's really a naturally occurring cannabinoid or it is a, you know, I, I don't, I don't the know. What, derivative I call, is what's yes, it. That's what it is. I mean, yes. is, so, I mean, why would we as an industry that is, as, as, you know, fledgling industry like to allow our products to be adulterated this way just to be able to bring in the ire of the Fed? You know, and and there's no policing of us among ourselves to ensure that this is something that'll be sustained for uh, the the Delta a question is one that could shut this industry down completely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you know, I just I'm sorry I saw that new no
1: no go ahead I'm sorry
0: no I saw that new thing was it, I think it's called THC O or THC Zero have you seen this.
1: I have not. Now I'm very curious to
0: see what no, this is. it's that's it's, it's about as scary as Delta Eight. This is even worse. They they're literally again, you know, refining and refining and synthetically modifying, you know, CBD in a way that produces a product that is supposedly anywhere from twenty to forty times stronger than regular THC. Why would we do this? And not push back against whoever decided. It's just like, you know, I don't know, about, about two or three months ago, there was a huge article out about, um, you know, those idiots who were selling, you know, uh, the THC bump, you know, which was a, which is a, a THCA, but right. has been activated and they call it bump. Why the hell would we even want to use a term like that?
1: Right. And it looks like white powder. And Correct. you're just putting, you're, you're putting your, you're, you're. be shorted. Putting, Yes, you are putting us back in the box, right, as the illicit illegal drugs that, you know, we are trying to fight and combat that image, that reputation. And really, that's that's horrific to think that that's even okay. Um, It's sad. I mean, it's sad because, again, some people, though, they want to find a niche, right? They find they think that this is a niche. It's a quick buck that they're going to be able to get their product out, get a name from themselves, differentiate themselves. And that is not the right way to do it. Um,
0: Not putting the entire, you know, it's like throwing the entire, you know, I mean, uh, or shooting the hole in the side of the, of the ship or, or letting it run into an iceberg and yep. you know, understanding that, you know, the bow may stay out of the water for an extra hour, but the rest is going to sink.
1: Agreed. And Delta 8 is just that. And I think that it's, it's, every state is grappling with that. And I know that that's, it's going to be on the legislative agendas on majority of states that have a program because it's something that has to be addressed.
0: And then once they start taking the plant apart this way and picking one cannabinoid or one, you know, variant to go after, it's only a matter of time until they try to limit whatever other variant you have that might be of value. It's like, again, you know, we just started scratch. I think this industry is, is so fledgling. It's like the Wright brothers still pushing a wooden plane down a hill. I mean, you know, we, we, we've barely, you know, we we've all been on this CBD tip for the last couple of years just because of one television special, but not even understanding that you know there are 250 plus of these same components that we know from the beginning work better in an entourage way and work right. better when they're collectively put together along with the terpenes, along with the flavonoids. Um, but now we're going to allow you know, the Fed to step in and say, well, I'm not sure if we really want you to put these terpenes in. Stop. You know what I mean? They, they you open up the bad door with us, I think.
1: But they first have to recognize us. And that's going to be a hard push too, is, is, you know, before they get into, and then, I mean, it's a slippery slope, right? Again, you're, you're, you've you got conversations about price control. you got conversations about limiting potency, limiting cannabinoids, mm-hmm. limiting Terps. And it's just a slippery slope because again, do we, you know, we're, well, it, first of all, I, 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 laugh at that too, is to say is, is, well, first of all, you've got to recognize us as a legitimate business. You've got to recognize us as having a medical benefit, um, before you even want to dip your toes in the sand right now. But you're right. I mean, the, we don't do ourselves any favor by pushing the envelope too far and, you know, thinking we can get away with it because of a, rec, of a rec program that you have in a state that allows you that latitude to really push the envelope. And that envelope being pushed is going to break this program. The, bro- the program is at its infancy. We are still get, trying to demonstrate the support of the community support of our lawmakers, that they do see this as a value add, and then regulate it in a manner that's appropriate, just like you do for pharmaceuticals, just, you know, so we're not doing ourselves any favor, and we're allowing the loudest people, the most obnoxious, loudest people to get the headlines. Right. Um and that's our job. And this is where the industry is failing is, is 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 not providing a loud voice that is opposing that type of behavior, opposing that type of product. And then also providing the education that backs up why they need to support medical marijuana or marijuana, um, whether you're a patient or just a consumer, you know, based upon what your lifestyle and your well-being is. And that's where our job is.
0: And I think, you know, I, I do think that there is some merit to this whole idea of a National Cannabis Party. And I would love to connect you with uh, those who put that together, because I think that they could use your expertise in helping them, you know, navigate what they're trying to do now by setting up individual state caucuses or uh, state uh, o- offices. Um, and they're allowed to do so by the federal government because they are now federally sanctioned as the National Cannabis Party. So um, maybe yeah. when we're offline, I'll, I'll make sure we get information. Sorry.
1: Yes. Yeah, yes, please do. That's fascinating. And I, you know, um, I deal a lot with the legislature, especially in Utah, just because of how political that 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 is. And I really, you know, my sole focus for for Utah, not sole, but a majority of my time is spent dealing with the legislature and educating them, providing providing that that information. Common sense, you know, and, and bringing common sense um, to the table of, of rather than a fear based um, reaction is really, really bringing, you know, that R and D really bringing the medical side of it and understanding the benefits. Um, but it's true. We need, you know, more than ever. I think it's the time for a national party. I, I, the timing to me is just perfect. Um, you know, as I do think in the next 18 months, you're going to see movement one way or the other, even if it's banking, we'll take it. It does provide an inch. We'll take an inch.
0: Right, man. We need an inch right now. What's your opinion on the decision, you know, to not let Shikari Richardson compete in the 21, uh, 2021 Tokyo Olympics because she tested positive for cannabis? And, you know, when you hear her story and you understand why she tested positive for cannabis and she was using cannabis in a state where there's a legal medical program, right. it just seemed crazy to me that they would have the audacity to to pull her ability to represent the United States for that.
1: I agree. I think it's twofold. A, I can understand why the World Anti-Doping Agency um, didn't allow her, right? Because it still is a uh, prohibited substance. Again, the United States, my personal opinion is, is this is ridiculous. There are medical benefits. It is not a, a performance enhancing drug. We know that there's no scientific information to it. To, to put forward to say that it is, you know, well, someone- if
0: there was if there was a, a Olympic event for pizza eating, it might great, great. I'm, just, I'm well, just joking.
1: I mean, but that's what I mean in in the sense that they're trying to say is it's, it boosts self confidence. It boost, you know, in, in her use of it, whether you know, regardless of what the use is going to be, it's legal. There's a medical benefit that doesn't necessarily, if it's for stress, for anxiety, for performance, that's not a performance enhancing drug. And I think that you know, where is that line? Gatorade seems to be okay. It enhances performance by hydration, right? But, and then we go on for steroids. Steroids is clearly has been um, uh, deemed not uh, deemed a performance enhancing drug. So where does marijuana lie here? And I think that's going to come down to their decision. And it does sound like they are reviewing this now that they are been asked by the stakeholders to review um, marijuana as a substance. But again, I, from my personal opinion, believe that she should have been, you know, she should be able to go. Marijuana should be used think, for
0: recovery. I think that that when that positive test came back from her, they should have tested everybody, every oh. Olympian, and found out that, you know, there are a couple of sports that recognize the use of cannabis and have been using cannabis for the last five Olympics, and nobody's even tested them because they were afraid that if we test one, we test the rest and there won't be there won't be an event.
1: Right. I mean,
0: you gotta you gotta think in terms of, you know, skateboarders and think in terms and I'm not trying to cast an cool. of people people. Totally. There are certain groups of athletes who are, have always thought about cannabis as being not an enhancement, but just something that's part of their lifestyle. So right. the fact that they didn't test them, but they tested her, that's where I thought that the problem came in.
1: That's a huge problem. If that's the case, then that's a, that's a different conversation. Right. Um, which is shocking, but yes, I mean, there are definitely sports that do that do bring that into the lifestyle, and the fact that they were allowed to to participate, or if they were deemed not needing to be tested, that's very interesting.
0: Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> and very disappointed.
1: I mean, we are we have a long way to come. Um, you know, the world has a long way to come. The United States has a long way to come. Um, I, you know, I'm so, I was, when I heard the news of that, it's so disappointing. I get asked that question quite a bit about where we would stand from an industry standpoint of why. Um, and i come back to is that there, it, it, it provides a medical efficacy. It is not deemed a, per, a performance enhancing drug. So I'm not sure why it's sitting on that um, yeah. on that list.
0: Right, I agree with you, and, and the fact that you can take Advil, right? Uh, you can take Tylenol. Um, if you can take any one of those as a recovery tool from your running or whatever your event is, cannabis should be considered the same. Especially since we now have research proving that you know certain cannabinoids have greater and better anti-inflammatory responses in the body than some of the the, the over-the-counter drugs that we have out there right now.
1: Agreed. And we have pharmacists recommending this use. For Correct.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> Which sounds as, is just insane to me, and especially you know. Again, if you live in a state where it's legal, then I don't think that the that the International Olympic Committee should take precedence over the state you live in. That's my my opinion.
1: I would I would agree.
0: Yep. And now, what do you think about the fact that we, let's get to the states and the fact that you know, from California to Maryland to to New Jersey, to New York. I mean, the tax rates on cannabis is sometimes double or triple the rates of other small businesses. And I mean, do you hope that we at least take a look at that and say, wait, knock it off a little bit, folks here. If you don't believe in cannabis, then just outlaw it. I mean, stop with this idea of, okay, well, we're going to make it legal in our state, but then we're going to tax the hell out of it to to make it more difficult for consumers to be able to buy.
1: Uh, yeah. And I think it's, a, it, it's interesting because we just went through this with Arizona trying to get Prop 207 passed and why the excise tax is so high is because to get support for opposing parties, you know, you had to put a percentage point. Right. You, at, at the end of the day, you had to put t- some type of percentage point towards that bucket. And as the buckets add up, you're at this out, you know, this egregious tax scheme that we've now created you know in some states it's 25 some states it's 21 um some states it's 16 plus 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 sales tax you've got you know and, and you know when you walk out of one of my stores you've got your excise tax plus your sales tax and each you know municipality has its own schedule um, so some of the times they're walking out at 22 24 tax on a product um you got the eyes of saying well we're treating this as tobacco or we're treating this like alcohol. I said, well, that only is a sales tax. You've got a sales tax. You're not putting an excise tax with regards to that. So, you know, you're not doing any benefit by having such a high tax schemes. And on top of that, the business owners have a large, huge tax burden um, additionally. So you're, you're, you're penalizing operators, you're penalizing customers, you're penalizing patients for a legal cannabis program that the state has approved and collects tax dollars on regularly, um, and is making a lot of money on, which is funding, you know, infrastructure, um, uh, police and fire, pension reform. I mean, we're we're providing that th- those those avenues to be able to give back to the community. Yet we're still, you know, it's looked at like a black eye um, in the community.
0: And I mean, uh, do you think that we'll be able to get some, some politicians to change their attitude when it comes to this?
1: And I don't necessarily think we're I don't think you're gonna see um a change on the tax, the excise tax that you're that maybe you're talking about, because um, I, I I'm not I won't I don't see much movement there from what I hear from lawmakers and legislators of their desire to keep those funds that were allocated because it was sold to the to the population, whether whatever state you're sitting in. That these the, these funds that we're collecting is going to be utilized to have more police. Your your pension for police and fire is now going to be covered, and rather than going to be you know taxed onto you or passed onto you with with additional tax dollars. Um, where I think maybe you know my hope is is uh, changes from taxing would be from the federal side for 2 e This is more on the business side because once we are, our tax you know we come in line with regular businesses, it allows. Um, you know, operators like us to give back to the community, really try to provide a, um, a sense of um, community with our patients. Um, what we're doing in Utah, we created a subsidy program um, because the product is so high there, because of the demand, um, um, the limited products that were were on the market, and the high price for the product, we created a subsidy program um, in in connection with the Utah Patient Coalition. So we provide a tax uh, or a uh, a benefit, a dollar benefit for indigent um, people or um, a patient that is. Uh, you know, has a life-threatening disease and is essentially terminal, um, we provide a subsidy to them to be able to assist in that because it is expensive um, and products are getting expensive. Tax adds almost another product. Essentially you're walking out with another product when you walk out with a tax. Um, And so that's where you're seeing the dichotomy between a medical program and a recreational program. Why medical programs uh, And rec programs are essentially identical um, and and have been treated identical, but for this tax and why medical, the medical program are still thriving is because people do see a benefit of having a medical card. It alleviates paying the additional excise tax. Um, And so I encourage patients to keep renewing your card. There's a benefit for that, even though it's easy, you don't have to, you don't have to spend that extra $150 to go see a doctor to get that card renewed. After two visits, you've already paid off your your card, um, and so I would love to see that. But I just don't see in the immediate any movement on the tax to the customer, to the patient, um, leaving a leaving a dispensary, leaving a pharmacy, um, and it's unfortunate because I think that's how they sold it, and how politicians really are hanging their hat on that there is an actual benefit to the community by taking these tax dollars.
0: You know, you uh, we, we talked a little bit of, uh, earlier about equity programs and the fact that. And the industry needs to do more to get more women and more minorities representation in the C-suites of cannabis industry. Do you think that this industry is going to police itself or figure out how to do that more equitably? Or are we going to still run down the same path that we've run down for the last 50 years in this country?
1: I think we need to police ourselves. Um, and I think that it's incumbent upon us as operators, me specifically, is to hire women and minorities, give them the opportunity in the fastest growing industry currently right now is, is we need to be elevating that. And I'm glad to see that we've got statutes um, that require social equity. Um, you know, people are gonna do workarounds, and it's unfortunate, but really it's the benefit to have um, a working class that is equal, both men and women that have the ability um, to be side by side. It is our job to elevate that, to give opportunity, um, cause there's opportunity everywhere. There is, you know, and it it is now that we need to act. Um, and that's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, I do try to bring females in. I elevate at, at, at any opportunity because it is extremely hard to break into any industry, but it's extremely hard to break into this industry as a female. Um, I came about it in a different manner as, you know, as a lawyer. Um, and I had my own challenges, you know, coming into this space. Um, and so I've seen firsthand how females and minorities, um, how hard it is to to break into this industry. And so, I, you know, firsthandedly, I try to elevate that. I really take that to heart. And I believe that it is coming upon us as operators because it's not going to happen. Otherwise, if we don't do it ourselves, um, it's going to fall into the same trap. Um, but you're seeing now more females coming in, more minorities coming in. And it's allowing them to stay and really encouraging them to remain in this space. Because again, how fast this industry evolves, you know, I really do, we need to, we need to figure out a mechanism that keeps them employed, keeps them here rather than the easy out, the, the easy sale, um, which ends up being, you know, l- looking a little bit different at the end than what it started with.
0: Absolutely. I mean, what's your favorite part about, or favorite thing about being in this industry? What's your least favorite thing about being in this industry?
1: Um my favorite thing is working with uh working with the talented team that we have here. Um it's very hard to find um loyal, trustworthy, uh talented team members. And so I I really, really enjoy the the, the team that we've built. Um it's been hard. That's also the hard part of it is going through, um, you know, and finding that team, uh, the hardest part of the day, you know, for me, the hardest part of the job is just the unexpected, right? It's, um, you got to be able to be adaptable in this industry. Really things change very quickly and you need to be able to adapt and move. And so for some people, it's very hard to make that transition of, of knowing what the next play is going to be. Should that fall through, you got to be able to pivot. Um, and so, you know, the, the hardest part is, um, is navigating that um, with your team and, and getting everybody to understand the, the 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 flexibility that you have to have, the core framework and foundation that you've created for this business. It is adaptable, um, and just being able to 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 navigate that those challenges, um, those challenges every day. Um, this this industry is extremely difficult to operate in. Um, not only because you've got, you know, the the federal legis- uh, regulations, you've got st- state regulations, you've got municipality regulations. Um, you've got licenses that you've got to protect the asset. You've got part, you know, individuals working underneath or working with your license that you know you've got to have a firm hand on a compliance portion of that. Um, complicated by banking, insurance, um, you know, all of those things um, really complicate just your normal day to day business. Just going back to when we were a cash based business. Very difficult. you you essentially are your own bank here in your office. You know you just I just keep hearing the tick 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 of county cash. Um, and really the the struggle for businesses that don't have bank accounts, that's a real struggle. Um, you know, the banks that are touching you today are credit unions and maybe some state sanctioned banks that you know it, that have a legal program. Um, but you're not seeing the national banks, the Wells Fargo, the Chase, the Bank of America. They're not touching you. So um, and even the banks that are uh, banking legal cannabis businesses are far and really few that they take in as operators to to bank. So banking with just or or not having banking and just being a cash based business is very difficult. That is that leads for, you know, theft. You've got a lot of fraud. You've got a lot of security issues um, and trying to pay Uh, Your employees, you know, I've got over, uh, you know, 120 employees just in this state. I've got seven facilities. You've got trying to pay your taxes, trying to pay your SRP, your your utility bills, your um, health insurance uh, premiums, your um, car insurance premiums. I mean, all of these things require a bank account and having to try to launder essentially launder money into a bank account to then be able to legally pay um you know a a liability on your books is very challenging and that is where it would be um, uh
0: wait that's all challenging yet the fed will take their money their their taxing cash right they just take and they want it in a check and they want it
1: and they want it in a check and you're like well tell me what bank account to put it in Right. And so it's another another oxymor uh, you know another oxymoron that you just can't reconcile. Yet you are federal you you want my tax dollars, but you're making it very difficult for me to pay you. And we're fine paying you, but how can I pay you in a method that is acceptable?
0: So, what do you got to go down and get money orders?
1: <laughs> yes, I mean majority of the time people will go get money orders at Circle K, um, and you know because they can't go into another bank because they get flagged after ten thousand dollars. Your utility bills are twenty thousand dollars a month. So, I mean, you're going into Food City um, and feeding an, um, a utility meter um, with cash and the security risk for that is quite big. Um, so it's just, you want a legitimate business, allow us to operate like a legitimate business, allow, allow um, traditional banking, traditional financing opportunities, allow us to pay our employees, allow us to have health insurance, allow us, you know, there's many things that would be able to be beneficial. Um, to not only the community, but also to our employees and to our patients.
0: Well, I, was, I was going to ask the question of how would you like to see things improve in this industry? Because you've just outlined many of them right there.
1: Yes. I mean, banking for sure, my Lord. Um, and again, I think with the federal government at least recognizing you're going to see the illicitness fall off. The black market is always going to be there, but those will be outshined by the legal businesses. Providing some tax breaks. California is crippled with its tax schemes, crippled with its licenses, which is why it's, prefer- you know, why you see the black market surging. So there are small tweaks that would be able to assist in some of that um, and allow, you know, legal businesses to operate in a, in a space that they feel that that is represented. And also they receive that benefit to operate legally. Otherwise what you're seeing in California is the illegal market is starting to, to rise because it's just too costly, too hard for them to operate as a legal business. And that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. And you must be, I I can't imagine what kind of scrutiny you must be under where you are a known multi-state operator. So, do you get pushback from either Arizona or Utah because of the other state?
1: Yes, you get. It's very It's very challenging, and it's unusual too. Is because every state you you treat every state separate, separate and distinct, right? Because you can't cross federal lines. The state entities have to be separate and distinct. So, the entities that hold those licenses that are operating those businesses are essentially very different businesses. Yes, they have same structure of management, same structure of of your business organization, but they're very challenging because they do believe the money laundering situation and that is this crossing state lines. Are you utilizing product here that you're utilizing there? Are you, you know, we're medical here, but you're medical and rec here. We have the feel that you must be pushing a rec agenda. Um, and it's far from the truth. We really just want to occupy and and, and, and operate in the program that we currently have. Um, yet you're always, everybody is skeptical for what the next move is going to be, um, what you're, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. And it's really providing that education, providing the opportunity for patients to have a medicine that is holistic, that is from a naturally occurring plant that we know it is not synthetically manipulated in a lab. Um, that is coming. We, you know, you have to be blind to think that that's not coming, um, pharmaceutical companies that I just heard are now starting to to do uh, clinical trials on psychedelics. So that is the next thing that's coming, um, which is fascinating. Yeah,
0: psychedelics are legal now in certain states, um, yes. and and. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's going to be the next, I don't know what's going to happen to that.
1: (laughs) I like that is the next, that is the next thing that I think the needs to be on people's radar is the psychedelics and how that is going to be, you know, blended into the marijuana program, or is it going to be solely a separate program? I I mean,
0: they should be completely, I, 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 I really feel very strongly about the fact that though, they are on the same page. They are two separate products that should be sold separately, administered separately, and literally sanctioned separately. Um, you know, opportunities to to use you know psychedelics for the various reasons why they are now efficacious. That right. there's a separate controlling body that should be administering that, not put on the backs of the cannabis industry.
1: I would agree, and it is. It's 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 new, and it's still. It's still it's at its infancy stage, Um, and I need to do some more research with regards to you know the Oregon and states that have some limited um, legalization of that is how that it how that plays into the marijuana program whether it's side by side if they've actually blended it in it's very interesting to me um, because that's coming Um, and I think in time you'll see
0: it. You've heard that uh, you know the new tournament's out, which is Cali Sober, which includes being able to utilize, you know, psychedelics and cannabis versus alcohol. See, what I mean? There, there's yeah. now that term, now that term's now been used. Cali has been around for yeah. a while, but now yeah. there's an actual term for that. So, you know, there and there are several uh, facilities opening up that are treatment centers that for different anxieties and other things that are utilizing and for addiction are utilizing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 psychedelics for addiction, um, uh, cessation. So yeah, I, I don't understand why that should be controlled by cannabis industry.
1: I agreed. And I think, no, yeah, I would absolutely agree. I mean, it's, it's like they're very different. They're very different. This is a plant-based, you know, psychedelics are either from mushrooms or whatever, you know, whatever form it is not part of the cannabis plant. So that's, you right. know, from, from, from your seat, it is a separate and distinct business and program that maybe rods coincides with, you know, and likely in States coming on that already have an existing uh, marijuana program, but it is, it's, it's interesting to see. And I did look into um, just out of curiosity too, is how marijuana can be treated for alcohol addiction in rehab. Absolutely. And I find it fascinating. And I want there to be more education on that, that that is an opportunity that is interesting education, some research.
0: We also do know that marijuana can be an a gate exit drug to opioid addiction. Also, we've seen this not just the psychedelics, but cannabis can be an opioid cessation tool rather than you know what the president seemed to think as being a gateway drug. Greta, I could talk to you for hours. I, uh, we could we could probably chop it up on almost every single topic. So I'd love to have you back.
1: Would love to. Thank you. Absolutely fascinating. You mm-hmm. know, way too much. This is great.
0: Well, no, uh, you know, I think it's time, though, that, that all consumers know way too much. And that's <laughs> where I, I, I go back to saying that I think this industry has done a, a disservice to the consumer by not educating. I mean, right now, I mean, we, the number of baby boomers in this country who don't find cannabis as a bio- valid product, it's absolutely insane. And that's because of us, the industry, not because of them. We've not done a good enough job educating them. You know, and 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 the more and more we do, I think the better this industry will be.
1: I agree. The next time you have me on, you need to ask me what I've done to to push forward the education platform that I've got slated to to be to be pushed out um, next month. So I'd be curious. Well, then
0: we got to come back before next month. <laughs> then
1: come on now. All right. Absolutely. Anytime. You know that.
0: I would love to have you back. have my folks reach out to you. If people wanted to find out more about you, you've got what seven different dispensaries.
1: We've got five different dif- dispensaries. I've got three in Arizona um, under the flower shop. We've got one in Phoenix, one in Mason, one in Ahwatukee. Um, And then I have two in Utah um, under Perfect Earth Apothecary in Logan and Ogden.
0: Well, come on. Give people all your stats. Let them yes. know how to find out something about you. They go to apothecary.com. What do they do? How do yes, they get a hold of you? I'm room?
1: sorry. Um, come find me at uh, theflowershopaz.com um, for my Arizona operations. And then my Utah operations is uh, Perfect Earth. Um, of utah.com um, again uh, the flower shop, az.com and perfect earth a, a utah.com mouthful oh, wow. <laughs> wow, that's a
0: mouthful but I hope that all of my listeners have tuned in and then you're gonna have people reaching out to you I know they're gonna reach out to you and say I'm getting ready to head to Arizona where do I go so I want to make sure they reach out to you and get the information thank you so much for being a part of let's be blunt with Montel today you have a home here whenever you want it so Thank let's you. make sure we got you back. And I want you back by the by next month so we can talk a little bit more about this education thing, okay?
1: Absolutely, I'm counting on it. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Sure thing. And I will uh, we'll offline, I'll give you information to, about Redman so that um, you, know, you can reach out and find out more about this National Cannabis um, um, Party, which I think is going to literally be something that we are going to be blessed with over the next couple of years, pushing forward the platforms that we need to have pushed forward.
1: Agreed. And I think you'll be surprised with the support that will be pushed behind that too.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, you take care of yourself. Stay well. Thank you so much for being here and make sure you tune in to the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also. So please send us your comments.